Hey everyone, I hope this podcast and my blog and books have been helpful resources for you and will continue to be. But if you've been struggling with a chronic health problem and are feeling stuck, consider coming to work with my team and me at the California Center for Functional Medicine. We work with patients all over the U.S. and have experience treating a wide range of conditions, including GI problems, autoimmunity, hypothyroidism, cognitive mood and behavioral issues, weight gain and metabolic dysfunction, and more. Our unique model teams, clinicians with nurse practitioners and health coaches, all of whom are trained in my ADAPT framework approach to provide a high level of care to our patients. This means more support between appointments, personalized guidance on diet, lifestyle, and behavior change, a cutting edge patient portal with 24 seven access to your labs and records, handouts and resources to guide your protocols, and a team of practitioners working together on your case. We're currently accepting new patients, so if you'd like to learn more, visit chriscresser.com slash become a patient. Hey everyone, Chris Cresser here with a brief message before we begin the podcast. Imagine a career that draws on your passion for wellness and disease prevention, that harnesses your ability to support and connect with others, that helps you to develop as a person while you help others to do the same. What if you could earn a living while making an impact on thousands of people's lives and even on the future of healthcare? That'd be pretty great, right? Well, that job does exist. It's the job of a health coach. And I believe that health coaches will play a crucial role in the future of medicine, not only in the US, but around the world. One in two Americans now has a chronic disease and one in four have multiple chronic diseases. Chronic disease is destroying our quality of life, shortening our lifespan, bankrupting governments, and threatening the health of future generations. And our medical model is not prepared to address it. Why? Because the only way to prevent or reverse chronic disease is by changing our diet, lifestyle, and behavior. And conventional medicine is simply not set up to do this. Bottom line, we need people who can provide this support to help people make the changes they need to make to save their lives. We need empathetic and compassionate people with a skill for connecting and a passion for change. And my job is to make sure they have all the training they need to do their job so well, they will change the future of healthcare. A career as a health coach can be incredibly fulfilling, both professionally and personally. It really could change your life and it can also change the world. That's why I'm excited to announce that we're launching the ADAPT Health Coach Training Program. It's a 12-month, 100% online certification that will prepare you for a successful career as a health coach. It includes training in core coaching skills, functional health, ancestral diet and lifestyle, and professional development. And it's unlike any other health coach training program currently available. To be notified when enrollment opens and to learn more about the program, visit cresser.co slash success. That's K-R-E-S-S-E-R dot C-O slash success. Now on to the show. Hey everybody, Chris Cresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. This week, I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Kirk Parsley as a guest. Dr. Parsley is a former Navy SEAL, a physician for the SEALs, a health and sleep optimization consultant, and performance enhancement coach for some of the most driven achievers on the planet. I've known Dr. Parsley for several years. Um, He is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sleep and the impact of sleep on performance, 
And because of his work with the SEALs and other high-level athletes, he has some real on-the-ground nuts and bolts uh, wisdom in these areas that I've relied on for many years. He's been a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine since 2006 and has served as Naval Special Warfare's expert on sleep medicine. He's also certified in hormonal modulation and continues to consult for multiple corporations and professional athletes and teams. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Let's dive in. Dr. Kirk Parsley, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Chris Kresser. So we have talked in the past a lot about sleep and performance, and I thought it'd be, it'd be good to revisit that. Uh, it's been a while. Um, you know, I had, um, Matt Walker on the show a little while back who I know. Oh, you know. that's right. And he's, yeah. he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the research and all the literature on sleep and performance and just sleep and health in general. But I right. thought it'd be fun for us to dive into a little bit more, um, nuts and bolts on the ground practical stuff since right. you you know you've have this incredible experience working with a population of people who are extremely high achievers like with the seals and then other high performing athletes and um, members of the military that you work with and so maybe you could just start by telling people like how how you got into this work and got interested in in sleep and the connection between sleep and performance and maybe you know how that evolved in your work with the seals yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, to fill in the background. So I was a, I was a Navy SEAL right out of high school. Then I got out and went to college, went back into the military. When I started medical school, I went to the military school in Bethesda and, um, that, you know, anything in the military, any contract pay, you know, you basically pay back with years of your life in that profession. And so there was an eight year commitment after that. And I figured, I would be able to get back to the SEAL teams and kind of give back to my community. Um, I was very well steeped in sports medicine and ortho and, you know, really figured that's what I was going to do. And I got there really with the intention of doing that. Um, I got there right at a time where they just funded an initiative to build our first sports medicine facility and hire our first nutritionist, nutritionist and exercise physiologist and strength and conditioning coaches and PTs and athletic trainers and all this stuff. And it was, it was great. Like, it, you know, just had this fantastic opportunity to see that sort of uh, niche and, and the need of, of the community fulfilled. And, you know, I brought in ortho rounds and pain rounds and acupuncture. And they, so eventually I became the guy, or, you know, I was the least qualified you know, sports uh, medicine sort of slash ortho kind of guy around. And so in military fashion, they just put me in charge of managing that. And, <laughs> you know, well, now you're in charge of everybody smarter than you. I'm like, all right, great. That'll be perfect. <laughs> uh, Trial by fire. Sure, yeah, I make sure I'll tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so what happened was, you know, guys would come in my office and, you know, being, uh, being a SEAL is a lot like being a professional athlete and that it is performance-based and there are medical clearances to be able to do it. And if you're not physically able to do the job, obviously they won't let you do the job. But if you aren't medically cleared to do the job, they won't let you do the job either. Right. And just, uh, well, a lot more so than with athletes, there are a ton of disqualifying things for SEALs because they may have to be out in austere environments for a prolonged period of time with no medical coverage, no medical help, you know, true, uh, you know, true medical help other than just like emergency uh, trauma care. And so they can't be on medications that they're dependent upon. Um, so just about everything is 
disqualifying. You know, blood pressure medicine can be disqualifying. Uh, you know, any type of uh, antidepressant can be disqualifying. Right. Um, there's just all sorts of things that if you're if they can make the case you're dependent on that they aren't going to allow you they're not going to take the risk of having you out there. So is that so uh, many reasons for these people to be in peak operating condition so to speak right and, yeah. right and but of course guys do have problems and then they're afraid to talk to anybody about their problems because if right. they say the wrong thing you know that right. that could be it they get put on the bench and um so i had a i had an additional layer of trust built in because i'd been a seal yeah. uh, i'd been a seal recently enough to where there were a lot of seals still there that i had been a seal with mm -hmm. um which matters probably just as much, if not more, because I had a good reputation amongst the guys who knew me as a SEAL. And so they figured they could trust me. And they came in and started telling me this litany of problems that they had, which you would expect to hear from uh, 45 to 55 year old burnt out executives, but you're hearing it from a 28 year old Navy SEAL with six pack abs, right? Yeah. Um, and and you know they're complaining about you know just their motivation and their mood and lethargy and um, poor sleep quality, poor sex drive, uh, you know, poor mood control, poor attention, poor, you know, poor cognitive function, poor memory, just, uh, you know, shifts in body composition, just despite the fact that they were, I mean, these, these guys are the ones who introduced me to Rob Wolf. Like I didn't even know about, you know, podcast and all that stuff. And these guys mm -hmm. were, you know, had Rob's podcast memorized and were doing, you know, paleo down to the nth degree. And, so of course I didn't have the slightest idea what was going on with them. And I'm like, uh, you know, this was 2009. I'm like, well, eight years of combat, maybe this is like what they called shell shock in past wars or, you know, maybe it's adrenal fatigue or PTSD or who knows what. So uh, being a Western trained guy, I just started uh, looking for answers actually with guys like you and um, the guy, uh, uh, Edward Lichten and, uh, Mark Gordon, who is really into hormones around uh, TBI, um, you know, training with you know the integrated functional medicine kind of groups, um, and trained with a few people who specialize in adrenal fatigue. And I was trying all of that, and I was doing like some, you know, IV drips, and I got in trouble for that because apparently that's beyond my scope as a doctor to give somebody a Myers cocktail. So I, I was told to cease and assist on that. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't recommend any type of voodoo like acupuncture or um, let's say rolfing or float chambers or like right. IR yeah. saunas. I couldn't recommend any of it. It was all, it was, I was just like shut down from all of that. Yeah. But um, so anyway, the, the one thing that did kind of stand out to me and I don't remember how many patients then, but it took a while for it to, mm -hmm. to, to stand out to me uh, was the guy mentioned that he took Ambien every night to go to sleep. And I thought, crap. I wonder, you know, I wonder what that is. Uh, and being a doctor, I'd never had a class on sleep. I didn't know anything about sleep. I went to the medical literature. It's like somebody can't sleep. Uh, you, teach, you know, teach them some progressive muscle relaxation and tell them to, you know, engage in some sleep hygiene, like three basic things. And then if that doesn't work, give them Ambien. And if that doesn't mm -hmm. work, give them an antidepressant. And if that doesn't work, give them like a sedative. And if that doesn't work, give them a hypnotic. And if that doesn't work, give them an antipsychotic. Antipsychotic off label. Yeah. Drug them to sleep. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. okay. I did, all of those are disqualifying. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for the, yeah. not going to help you. The advice, but that's mm -hmm. not going to work. Um, and yeah. And because I had all of these 
because I trained with such a disparate group of non-traditional people, I was just doing this enormous set of blood work, um, which I also got in trouble for because it wasn't specific enough. And, um, but I, I literally like pulled every biomarker I possibly could in those days. And they all had low testosterone. They all had low growth hormone. They all had really low anabolic, all, pretty much all metrics of anabolic behavior were increased. All catabolic was decreased. Oxidation was increased. Inflammation was increased. You know, uh, all of their um, insulin sensitivity markers were, you know, sort of peri-diabetic, even though, you know, they're ripped up and young. And I, like I said, I didn't know, but uh, when I started researching what happens during sleep and why we sleep and um, I saw all this hormonal regulation and I, you know, what I wanted to do, obviously when I first saw the hormone dysregulation is go, Oh, easy, you know, just give everybody hormones, put their hormones back into place and they'll be fine. Um, but as you know, there's, there's big cost to that and the military wouldn't have let me do it obviously anyway, since I couldn't give, you know, IV drips. So I, you know, I said, well, you know, let's see what we can do by getting people off of sleep drugs. And so, you know, I worked with, you know, as fortunately, as I was working with a, obviously a really great population that were very fastidious, you know, they would take notes, they would come in and talk to me every day, they would report everything. Uh, they helped me kind of work out a supplementation uh, stack that would allow them to sleep without um, using Ambien. Then, you know, got them to back off the booze, you know, didn't make them not drink, but like, you know, don't, don't drink yourself to sleep and don't drink any closer to bed than you kind of have to. And then I was giving them uh, DHEA and zinc. Uh, and, you know, zinc is a aromatase inhibitor and DHEA is a dedicated pathway for testosterone and then added some pregnenolone. And all of a sudden, these guys, you know, all of, all of their labs were restoring over the course of about six months, like all their biomarkers were coming into what you would expect them to look like. And the vast majority of their symptoms were going away. Now, there was some TBI stuff in there as well, obviously, and probably some, you know, uh, traumatic uh, injury, you know, stuff, and, you know, neurological disorders that have come from blast and other things like that. So it wasn't 100%, but I did get 100% of people off of Ambien who wanted to get off of Ambien, and they all felt, looked, felt, and performed a lot better. Mm-hmm. And they would they would allow me to talk to the SEAL teams, you know, to the SEALs about my findings in hopes of motivating them to take sleep more seriously and to get off of sleep drugs and all of that. And I motivated them really through talking about performance and testosterone and, you know, growth hormone, because these are things they knew about. Um, this made a lot more sense to them than talking about prefrontal cortex functioning and all that other stuff. So I just right. honed in on performance. And, um, now I'm just like the sleep performance guy. <laughs> like it just mm-hmm. I'm painted with that brush 10 years later. That's who I am. So not a bad guy to be given that that is a absolutely critical and often underappreciated lever for performance. Yeah. And yeah. you know, now you're starting to see articles about the importance of sleep for NFL athletes and NBA athletes. And, you know, I think the message is, is getting out there. It's interesting. The military is often, far ahead in a lot of areas like of, of technology and research and development because they're pushing the boundaries of human performance. And yeah. so some of this stuff becomes evident in the military before it's even evident in like the general population. Well, it's, it's a good, it's a really good research pool uh, because you have, you know, you, you have a generalizable audience, right? Because it's, it, they're, they're very self-selected and, and very similar. 
So what works for one of them is very, very likely to work for another one of them. Um, and they're, they're very dedicated to being the best in the world at what they do, um, probably to a, a slightly dysfunctional level. Um, and so they're willing to do anything uh, that they recommend that somebody they trust recommends and they're willing to experiment. And so in that respect, it's a great research population, you know, sort of, sort of clinical research. And, you know, they've come over NHRC, you know, came over to the SEAL teams and validated a lot of what I had, what I'd said and did, a, you know, officials uh, trials with IRBs and all this stuff. But the military itself is a really um, stagnant uh, organization, really ensconced in tradition and, and the status quo, and it's really hard to make changes. So, I mean, I, I ruffled feathers with doing everything that I did. And now that I've left all, of, all, like all of the work that I, that I did, well, not all of it, but I'd say 50% of it, maybe 70% of it is all gone. Um, and so, you know, people who used to be SEALs and even some guys who still are SEALs, um, you know, they still reach out to me for help all the time because mm -hmm. they can't get that. And fortunately I know, uh, several doctors who treat those guys now and I, and I, you know, get to get into their ears and, and kind of help still, but the organization itself never, um, you know, the Navy, you know, the Navy SEALs embraced me, but the Bureau of Medicine would have had to embrace what I was doing and kind of make, you know, right. big policy changes, which is probably never going to happen. Yeah. I see this and well, I have a lot of patients who are military or ex-military and in their interactions with the, with the VA, you know, once they're yeah. out are pretty horrific. Yeah. They are horrific. They're literally just that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have VA access cause I, I've been out since 2013. I've, I've still never set up an account or like when checked in to become a patient or anything, just because that would be a last, last resort for me. Like I'd have to be, I'd have to be broke, right. <laughs> broken and um, yeah. just on, on death's door before, you know, that would have to just, I'd be you know, like homeless or something. Which, which is, which is horrible, right? Yeah. I mean, these yeah. are people who have dedicated their lives to serving the country and then they can't get the medical care that they need. It's really, you know, inexcusable that it, we're in the situation that we're in there. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the work you did with them. I know you did a lot of experimentation in terms yeah. of what, what would work and what wouldn't work in terms of improving their sleep. You know, what were the things that moved the needle the most? Well, so when I, when I first started uh, doing research, um, I think Rob was already talking about it maybe it came from him. I can't remember the first source I found on it, but I found, you know, some, uh, I don't know if it's research or just guidance, opinion, whatever about uh, vitamin D3's association with uh, insomnia. And I thought, oh man, that's obviously it, right? Because my guys work at night and sleep during the day. And if right. they do go out in the day, they're always covered from head to toe in camouflage and I looked through all of their labs that, you know, I'd pulled labs on hundreds of people at this point and I'd checked vitamin D3 and they were all low, they're all deficient. And I'm like, that's it, man. I'm going to give them all 8,000 IUs of vitamin D3 every day. And I'm the smartest guy ever. I solved it <laughs> and didn't quite turn out to be the magical elixir, but it was helpful. Um, so I'd, you know, do some more research and, um, I, I found out about, you know, I found that magnesium was a cofactor for all the vitamin D3 reactions. I'm like, oh, okay, so let's add magnesium. 
um, I don't, I don't know if natural calm wasn't out or if I just wasn't aware of natural calm. I think I started with milk of magnesia, which was disgusting, but, um, mm. then eventually moved over to natural calm, which was slightly less disgusting. Mm. Um, and then of, of course, uh, you know, the, the common idea of using melatonin, we danced around with that a little bit. I didn't find that to be super helpful, probably of everything that, that tended to be the least helpful one. That's really um, interesting, right? Cause that's often the first thing that people think of. Right, so what right. did you, why do you think that is? Well, um, I, I think that the literature out on it was, was really, in, was really inadequate at that time. And, mm-hmm. and we were using way too much. So even if it was enough melatonin to really uh, whack somebody and, and change their neurophysiology enough to get them really sleepy, it usually went away pretty quickly. And with, any sustained use for probably six weeks or something, you'd have such a down regulation of um, receptors that it became, you know, even you're, even though you're giving them, you know, 500% or actually probably 500 times the physiological need of their brain, it's all going in super concentrated coming out really quickly down regulating receptors and it quits working really, really rapidly. Um, and if you back the dosage down, then, um, you might get it to work a little, you might, you might be able to get it to work for a more sustained number of weeks. But the other thing that I found with it is that it was much better at initiating sleep than maintaining sleep. And all the seals were already uh, pretty good at going to sleep. It was staying asleep. That was their problem. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that, you know, the, the, again, the reason for that is even if you take one milligram, right? I mean, your, your brain only makes like five micrograms from sundown until sunup. So if you give somebody one milligram and, you know, half of that gets in their brain, it all gets in there and like, you know, within 30 minutes to an hour, and then it all starts going away. And so it, it just doesn't, doesn't simulate uh, neurophysiology in, in the right ways. And the other thing is you have to remember that all of my guys had, you know, multiple uh, TBIs. I mean, they all have hundreds, if not thousands of TBIs. Right. And, and these are, um, wait, I forget what the distinction, how they, how they determine distinction, but, but most of these aren't impact, right? So they're not like, um, it's not a conduction TBI. It's not the right word, but there, there's a distinction for when it's coming from a blast wave. It's still a TBI, but it damages the brain in a slightly different way. But mm-hmm. these are the ones they have thousands of their their reason for not being able to sleep had a lot to do with inflammation of the brain and um you know disruptions in neurophysiology and so the key was really not to try to throw like one physiologic trick in there and say hey let's dump a bunch of melatonin in there and initiate all the cat you know pathways and then everything will be fine it didn't turn out to be that way because they you know they were deficient in things and so i i supported the melatonin production pathway by giving them L-tryptophan and 5-hydroxytryptophan, um, which are both precursors to melatonin. Those actually, with the help of vitamin D3 and magnesium, become serotonin, and then serotonin can become melatonin. And if you're really deficient on melatonin and your brain's trying to keep you know, uh, shifting the physiological uh, pathways of your brain, you'll strip serotonin out. And when you strip out serotonin, then you have depressive, most likely have depressive symptoms, but um, serotonin is also an alert promoting neurotransmitter during the day. And so if you're low in that, you know, your affect, your mood, your attention, learning and all that stuff goes down as well. And then of course, one of the pathways of, uh, there, you know, sort of, so melatonin sort of 
you know, the, the way we evolved when the sun went down, this cascade of events happened in your brain, which led to the pineal gland secreting melatonin. And then that was sort of the initiation of a bunch of changes in the brain's physiology. And when the brain's physiology changes, you start losing awareness of your environment, which is really kind of the definition of being asleep is not being awake. It's actually the best definition. And all it means is that you've you uh, your brain has dissociated from your environment and so that's what we can observe as far as being asleep and that's what sleep drugs do but what you find when you use sleep drugs is that although it dissociates you from your environment um, it doesn't necessarily lead to the normal stages of sleep and the normal sleep architecture that we find when we do polysomnographies right um, mm. and so but one of the one of the things that does happen after the melatonin uh, secreted. I mean, it, it really changes, you know, probably three to 400 different concentrations of um, neuropeptides and neurohormones and neuromodulators when you, once melatonin starts. And one of the big things is GABA and GABA is what slows down your, your neocortex or, you know, your neocortex and makes you become less aware of your environment. So that's just a very long wind of one long-winded way of saying no, I put, I put all of that in there mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was just the shotgun approach. Like, well, yeah. everything I learned, I just kept adding and I just kept adding and I just kept adding. Um, and then right towards the end. So this is over about a four year period. And right towards the end, I learned about phosphatidylserine, uh, which right. you know, decreased cortisol and decreasing stress hormones, decreases norepinephrine and epinephrine and prefrontal cortex and gets rid of that. Um, anxiety insomnia initiation insomnia um, which again for the seals there's a there's a really clear reason why why big muscular men can fall asleep really easily um, so their insomnia is usually after their first sleep cycle um, but I found if I could decrease their stress hormones then they had a much better chance of sleeping through the night and if they could get through two sleep cycles they could almost always sleep throughout the night so what did you see happen with these guys as their sleep started to improve what did they report back well the actually the first thing the most common comment i got was usually after about a week to maybe two weeks of getting really good sleep and these are people who have you know they've drank the kool-aid and they're like yes i'm gonna make sleep my number one priority and then somewhere around a week or two weeks after and this is still true with my private consulting clients today. The most common comment I get is like, it's like somebody turned the lights on. See, the world just seems so much brighter. Like mm-hmm. colors are more vivid. Everything is much more digestible and understandable. Like their visual fields don't seem as scattered and hectic and confusing. And, you know, they notice that their moods back up and their motivations back up. I mean, these are dedicated guys. So the, like, they're going to get up in the morning and they're going to go work out and they're going to, they're going to crush it. They're going to work hard in their job. doesn't mean that they're going to feel like doing it though. Right. So they're, they're kind mm-hmm. of grinding through it. And now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I'm not grinding anymore. Like I actually feel like doing this. And then they'll see shifts in, you know, their cognitive functioning. Of course, um, that comes uh, actually, the, one of the best rewards of getting good sleep is, I mean, your your cognitive functioning increases drastically. Like every single day, you get a good night's sleep. So where you'll look back after two weeks of good sleep and look back to how you were thinking two weeks ago and go, "What the hell was I thinking? Like, how is that even me?" So you know, really, I mean, yeah. The, the first most common comment is, you know, it's like somebody turned the lights on, and then 
probably a month or two and it is a month or two into it. It's like, I, I didn't really realize how much I'd lost myself. And I feel like I'm getting myself back. Right. Um, and so this, this was across the board. And then of course I was chasing it with blood markers and, you know, they were all going up to very age appropriate, you know, sex hormone levels, their inflammation and oxidation was decreasing their insulin sensitivity markers were all like re-regulating their cholesterol was re-regulating like every like everything just really fixed itself and these guys did this and but you have to keep in mind these guys were already exercising well and they're already eating well um and you know they they were they're serious about their performance so you know if if your life's a mess and all you do is start sleeping you're definitely it's definitely the easiest and best lever to pull it's going to have the effect across most uh the most variable ranges in in your health span um but it, you know, it's not the magical elixir. You still have to do the other components of a, uh, of being a healthy human being. Yeah, but it's it's often, in my experience, one of the things that's hardest to get people to shift, like outside of the military, where you don't have that as high a level of motivation for you know right. to maintain performance, and you don't have the restrictions for drugs, where, you know. Um, people can't take those medications um, because they'll get kicked, you know, they'll lose their job, right. essentially. Most of my patients are pretty high. And my patients, as I know yours are, they're way more motivated than the, even the general population, you know, right. they have right. to be to work with us. Right. Um, and yet I, it's much easier for most of them to like make changes to their diet or, you know, even change their physical fitness routine and maybe take supplements and things like that than it is for them to address sleep. And I know you talk about that a lot too. So, yeah, I mean, it, that, that still blows my mind. I mean, to this day, that's still the most challenging thing I do with people, yeah. which I, I just don't understand. I mean, I, um, I am best known for sleep and most people who like I never advertised or anything. Clients all come to me word of mouth or they hear yeah. me on podcast or see me present or something. And then like 90% of the time or 80% of the time I'm presenting on sleep. Um, and so I'm, I'm well known as this sort of sleep zealot and my, even my application process to become a client talks about sleep ad nauseum. It's like a nine page application that says sleep a thousand times in it. <laughs> and I start working with them and it's still, it's still the one that they, that they struggle with. It's still the one I get, I get kicked back on them. I, mean, I could tell these people, you know, they have to spend three hours a day learning how to ride a unicycle and they would do it. Right. But if I tell them they need to sleep eight hours a night, they, they kick back like, whoa, whoa, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I was talking to Matt Walker about this too. The thing that's deceptive is, um, time in bed is not necessary. It's not time sleeping, right? We, right. nobody has a hundred percent sleep efficiency. So right. when you, when I tell someone you got to sleep for eight, seven and a half to eight hours. And then I say, Oh, by the way, that means generally for most people, at least eight and a half hours in bed, if not nine, they they look yeah. at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> right. Know, like, how am I going to find nine hours to be in bed? It, it's, yeah. And, and, and the reality is that for most people that is difficult and it's, and it's yeah. just because as a society we have moved, you know, we've, we've adjusted our priorities and our schedules and, you know, everybody talks about entrepreneurs, but just all humans are kind of the same way as that they just keep cramming more and more into their life until, you know, trying to find some sort of fullness. And, you know, we, we now have largely, uh, almost, you know, the, the common sort of, uh, family unit now has, has is a two 
you know, two income household, um, you know, so the, you know, both parents working and, you know, kids don't just like walk to school and then walk home from school. Now it's like everybody drives their kids to school. There's hardly any busing anymore. You know, all the kids extracurricular activities are spread out all over health creation. Everybody's trying to use, you know, the wealth, you know, their wealth to provide a better life for their kids and give them more opportunities. You know, if, if they, if they don't have kids, they're trying to, you know, go find personal growth opportunities or professional growth, you know, opportunities for themselves or their, you know, romantic relationships, whatever, but we just like the, the cadence of which we, for which we live life, what we consider normal is pathological. And yeah. It just, it doesn't give enough time for people to sleep, you know, to get in bed for nine hours a day, uh, unless people really, and, and what usually motivates people is that they feel like they're broken and they're kind of willing to try any, try yeah. anything. Right. And yeah. that's, so it's kind of an act of desperation to do the most obvious thing that had it never been removed, you would have like, you wouldn't have probably 70% of the problems you have. Yeah. Um, it's it, really it, backwards. It's unfortunate. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a systemic problem as you pointed out, because you know, if you have two, you know, two, two earner family, let's say you've got a few kids, so everyone's getting home from work and you know, you got to get dinner on the table and then, after the kids, you know, you're putting three kids to bed if they're young kids. And then, you know, then when is the time where you like check your email and just do the few personal things that you need to do? If you're in that yeah. situation, it's really, really hard to do it. You sound like you speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest, like I'm, it's pretty easy for me. Um, I, maybe because we have one kid and I make my own schedule and, you know, um, it, we're, we're not in that situation, but I, I can definitely empathize with my patients who are in that situation. And I know enough people who are that it's, it, it's easy to understand. I think for yeah. me too, I'm one of those people that I, I don't have the option, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I think some people are actually a little bit more resilient and able to persist with, sleep deprivation and, and continue to function, even though we, as we both know, I think we've talked about this before, there's an measurable objective decline in performance that happens with sleep deprivation. But what happens that's interesting is subjectively people think they're performing at the same level. So it's yeah. super yeah. deceptive, right? They think yeah. they're doing fine, but they're not. But for me, it's not even like sub just subjectively, I know I'm not doing fine. If I start missing a lot of nights of sleep, I'm, I just, I can't do it. So, um, I've been forced into, into heavy discipline around sleep. Yeah. Well, um, I've, uh, I, I think I kind of found all of this, um, out just, just soon enough to prevent a major crash in my life. Mm. Um, because I, I was one of those people that just destroyed myself asleep. I mean, I chose two professions that don't value sleep at all. Right. right. Yeah. And it, it's really just kind of a sign of weakness that you even need sleep. Yeah. And so, you know, I went from being a SEAL to being a, a college student trying to get into medical school and I was working and, you know, I had a kid while I was still in college, I was applying to medical schools and I was in medical school and I had a couple of kids and, um, you know, you know, trying to study an undigestible amount of information, still trying to work out because I thought it was smart. I should still go work out an hour every morning. So I was getting up at three thirty to go to the gym to work out and be in the, you know, so I could be up in the classroom by five and, you know, sit in one room and study from five to five every day and like drink a couple of little protein shakes as my only source of 
and you know come oh. home come home you know get get kids dinner play with them a little bit give them their baths read them stories get them to bed in hopes that i could get to bed by 9 30 which usually didn't happen i usually get to bed around 10 30 or 11 so i just crushed myself for a long time mm-hmm. and then you know obviously internship and um, the residency weren't a whole lot easier than that and but then i hit the seal teams and what you know when i started uh, you know, it's good for the goose is good for the gander. So I'm like, Hey, if it, you know, it's worse for these guys. Let me, let me try it. Um, and so I, I think I saved myself from really crashing, but I can look back at pictures of myself from 10 years ago and I look older 10 years ago than I look now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more muscular and leaner and more athletic now than I was 10 years ago, but I would, you know, I had a pretty high base. And so it wasn't like anyone would have looked at me and said, I was, you know, I looked out of shape or weak right. or, anything like that but you know for me it was it was like really premature aging and um, that's you know that's the other misnomer is that because the behavior is so common um, in society the sequelae from the behavior is so common and we're just we've really just kind of trained ourselves through observational bias to say well that's just normal aging that's just the way it is and the seals in fact used to say that to me when they'd come in my office and they would complain about all their problems, you know, about, you know, their, their memory deficits and it taking them five times to leave their house to, before they could actually get to work because they kept forgetting things and missing turns, you know, on the same path they took every day. Um, and then they would just say, but you know, maybe I'm just getting old doc. Right. And I'd be like, like you're 28, <laughs> like you're 34, dude, it's over. Like, yeah, you just <laughs> might as well go out behind the berm and suck, start your sick right now. Right. It's, it's over, man. Like, why are you wasting any more time? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that a lot of people just associate, you know, that, that foggy kind of, um, I don't, I don't know. Incompetence isn't the correct, correct word, but, you know, just sort of that, that, uh, uh cognitive decline mm-hmm. that is, isn't even pathological yet. But, um, I think if you, if you told somebody that, um, if you describe somebody who is really energetic and hard hitting and getting after it and doing some amazing things in the world, most people wouldn't picture a 55 year old. They would think, Oh, that's probably a 35 year old, right. And maybe a 40, 45 year old max, but, uh, it can be like, it could be a 55 year old. It could be a 65 year old, right. The health, the health span is what we have the most, uh, you know, most opportunity with right now. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the lifespan, I believe the life extension stuff, it will come around, uh, to, to a significant degree. And I know there are, there are some gains in that, but if you want to look at just sort of the general population of America and what's available to everybody without big expenses and tons of research and all of that other stuff, you know, and proving the health span is like how healthy you are during your lifespan is the, is the most approachable uh, challenge. And um, to me, the first pillar of that, the foundation of that really, I, it, it, I think Matt Walker said something like uh, sleep isn't even a pillar. It's like, it, like it's the foundation that the other pillars stand on or something. Right. And, yeah. and I, and I, and I agree with that completely. I mean, I, I agree with just about everything you said. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, I wish his book would have been out 10 years ago when I, when I first started this path. It's right. like, it took me 10 years to figure out everything he wrote about, or, you know, and then of course I still learned new stuff in there, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is, this is super helpful. I mean, I, I, I know for some people they're like, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't already know, but I still do think there are a lot of people who don't really fully 
grasp the importance of sleep. So I'm going to keep talking about it. <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah. I know you are too, because it's, uh, you know, eventually when it does sink in and click, it makes an enormous difference and it can be the thing that really um, works where nothing else did. So um, appreciate yeah, and, the, the work you're doing in this, in that uh, regard. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I'm, I am optimistic about it, even though people, uh, even though people are really reticent to try it, there is the, the benefit that the one thing that, that sleep advocate advocacy has going for it is that the differences are, um, the difference in performance and subjective experience of life are so profound and they're so immediate that it's a really motivating experience to just prioritize sleep. So if you can get people over, if you can get the, over that, uh, tipping point, if you can get over that inertia, uh, resistance, uh, point and get them to actually prioritize sleep and try it very, very, very rarely does anyone just not go, wow, this is, you know, this is amazing. I can't believe I overlooked this. And, and, uh, you know, that doesn't mean they won't fall off the, the wagon here and there, or whatever. I mean, obviously we all do the same with nutrition, whatever, but it, you know, I, but you know, things like fitness and nutrition, I find, you know, you're, you're waiting 30, 60, 90 days to really kind of look in the mirror, or, or, you know, and say, wow, I really look, feel and perform better or something. Um, sleep, it's like a week, you know? Right. Right. And people know, I mean, really one good night's, well, usually if you've, if you're really sleep deprived, you'll probably feel worse after a couple of good nights. <laughs> um, but you know, one, like three to four, three to four consecutive nights of really good sleep. Most people feel amazing. And then a, a week to 10 days of really high quality, uh, you know, quality and duration of sleep, you know, it's, it's a life changer. And, and it's, it's, um, and if you, you get people my age, a lot of my clients are around my age, they really haven't had that experience since they're in their twenties. And they, and I hear that all the time too. It's like, man, I feel like, I feel like I did my twenties. Like I, I, I wake up like I, I woke, I feel like I sleep like I slept then. And I wake up feeling like, if, and I can't, you know, I, I forgot how energized I felt. I forgot how, you know, how much my body didn't hurt. I, you know, all of these you know, sort of things that you've just grown to be normal, usual age associated, you know, people talk about their memories all the time. They're like, man, all of a sudden I can remember things that I haven't been able to remember for 10 years. And then and there it's effortless and everything's just coming to me. And I'm like, yeah, man, you're just, <laughs> you're getting rid of inflammation in your brain. You know, things are working better. You're, you know, you're forming more, you know, you're rebonding a bunch of neural pathways that you haven't been using, you know, circulation to your brain's increasing. It's all a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, and you know, the brain reacts very quickly, you know, it's evidenced by like a stroke or something, right? Like, to yeah. anemia and change who you are as a person. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm a, you know, I've been a big fan of the formula, the sleep formula you put together for, for a number of years. I take it myself and I recommend it. It's one of the first thing we recommend to patients um, because it's, I like that it's just got low, low doses of most of the nutrients and just supporting the body's natural physiological pathways rather than the hit you over the head with the hammer kind of right. approach. And right. I know it's evolved over time too, and just keeps, has gotten better as you've learned more and developed more. So, um, tell, tell people where they can learn more about that. If they're interested. Uh, yeah, they can go to, to, um, my website at 
doc, D-O-C, parsley, like the herb, P-A-R-S-L-E-Y, docparsley.com. Um, the product is called Sleep Remedy. You can just Google Sleep Remedy because if you go to sleepremedy.com, that goes to my website as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, um, you know, my TED Talks and blogs and podcasts and all that stuff. If people want to go there just to try to get motivated to sleep, you know, go there for that. If you want to try the product out, you know, go there for that as well. Yeah, and it's a uh, nice powder. It's a little powder you mix with some hot water. I think there's a a good um, what do we call it an entrainment effect that happens with that too, where you just start to associate that flavor with sleep and sleep onset. There's yeah, some interesting and, research and, about that. Yeah, and that was sort of the intention behind it was to create a, a bit of a ritual around sleep. We all know that you know we, we all remember being children and having children, you know, there's a, there's a prolonged period of getting a kid ready to go to bed. You don't just pick them up from playing with their toys and put them in bed and turn the light off. Right. But we think for some reason we can do that as adults and it's just not true. We need a, we need some sort of wind down process ourselves. And I forget why there's some sort of legal reason, I think where they said, don't put boiling water on there. But, um, you know, I, I like, boil, I like boil a tea kettle and I, you know, I pour it in a cup and, you know, we have the lavender now, which is kind of like associated with sleep. And mm-hmm. I get a lot of, I get a lot of, uh, uh, trolling kickbacks about how lavender is estrogenic and all this. I'm like, it's not really lavender. So <laughs> settle <laughs> right. down. It's lavender yeah. flavoring. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we still have the apple cinnamon, but you know, those, is, you know, like you mix that up and, you know, dissolve them in water and then you kind of sip it and, you know, dim the lights down and you're, you're at least giving some thought to going to sleep rather than just, you know, rather than just talking in bed, popping some pills and laying down and go, you know, why, why am I not asleep yet? It's been five minutes. And so that, yeah, that, that was a big reason for it. But you know, the whole 30 audience and some other folks, you know, they, they were anti flavorings and xylitol and like whatever. Um, and so we made some capsules out of it, but, uh, I, I don't, I, I mean, it's not that I would say don't use them. It's not that I, that I, I dislike them. I just don't think they're as good of a pathway as the drinks itself. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if it, if it helps, it helps use whatever, use whatever you're willing to use. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Kirk, good to talk to you as always. Thanks for coming on. And, Likewise. uh, so sleep com, docparsley.com for, to yep. learn more. And if you want to try the formula and we'll talk to everyone next time. Thanks for listening. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.